Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales. We believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Neil Romrell about his novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about writing prompts as a kid in school, starting with short stories based on life experiences, finally being able to write a novel when COVID traps you at home, getting signed by a publisher and getting your rights back, learning how to finish getting your book ready, dumb luck helping get things done for your book, writing multiple books at once, and doing things your own way. Sight Alpha Eyes in the Dark, Book One. What if I told you Sasquatches were real? What if I told you we protect them? Charlotte Chuck Barnes is an agent in the Rogers family, a secret society created to protect cryptids like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster from the outside world. Life is usually quiet at the aging site Alpha, where Chuck is stationed. But a series of deaths brings Chuck face-to-face with a dark foe from the family's past. Along with senior agent Sally DeRosa, Chuck and her team will be forced to use every ounce of their training to battle a rising threat to cryptid and human alike. But will it be enough to stop the entity behind the eyes in the dark? Site Alpha will appeal to fans of the X-Files, Men in Black, and the Mothman prophecies. It presents cryptids in new and interesting ways, creating a world that is both down to earth and out of this world. All right, the podcast is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that is fairy tales in two ways. Fairy tales are something that we either watched or read or had read to us as kids, and also the journey for you to spend weeks, months, years working on your book to hold that in your hands is a fairy tale for you. So the question I like to start off with is, what was your favorite fairy tale or other short story when you were a kid? And did your favorite change as you got older? Well, when I was younger, my grandmother used to read us Rumpelstiltskin a lot. And I remember that very vividly. We had, it wasn't a children's golden book. It was like an actual, like, bigger book. So it was fairly large, which was probably one of the reasons I liked it as a kid, because I could, it was vivid, you know, I could see everything. Yeah. Um, and so she used to read that to us quite frequently. Uh, as I got older, I don't know. I think that the only difference as I got older is that I learned like some of the stories behind some of the fairy tales, you know, mm. and, and found like the darker versions of them a little bit. Yeah. Whereas, you know, as a kid, you get the kind of Disney-fied yeah, <laughs> version the, of the fairy tale. The nicer tale. one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, when I when I kind of actually just started discovering like some of the Grimm's fairy tales and some of that mm-hmm. stuff, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> probably I, for me as I got older like I liked um 
uh, kind of the more uh, like the tr more traditional, like uh, Little Mermaid, like you know, where she actually turns into sea foam at the end and some of those things. <laughs> like some of the, like, she know. goes up into the clouds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so, so yeah, there's there's some uh, there was definitely some difference. But as a kid, I, I like Rumpelstiltskin. I like I, it wasn't just that it was kind of a nonsense word. It was it was kind of a fun idea in that, you know, there was a way to beat this guy, but you just had to figure out, you know, how to get around all the stuff. You and know? like, and who's going to so think sure. of his name? Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's not like, I don't know, Bob or whatever the common name of the time would have been. It's just like <laughs> someone was just like, I'm going to throw a bunch of letters into a hat and just draw them out until something sounds like a name. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I kind of like that nonsensical factor about it. And so I, I think that's why that one particularly stuck with me uh, when mm -hmm. I was younger. And so, so that would be my answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And at what age did you start writing at all? Short stories, prompts in school, whatever it started oh, as? Well, so when I was 15 years old as a sophomore in high school, mm -hmm. I uh, got a teacher and every two weeks you had to turn in a writing assignment to this teacher. Okay. And so I think it was three paragraphs was like the, the max slash min. I think you kind of just had to hit the, the number essentially. Okay. It was, it couldn't be more than a page. I, I know that much, but, um, so very, but so, very short stories. Yes, it was. Well, you know, yeah. And, and they weren't necessarily, I think it was more supposed to just be a writing assignment as okay. far as like write something that you care about. Okay. Right. Um, I had this brilliant idea at the time I'd been reading a bunch of like uh, uh, Stephen King. And I think I was reading some Terry Brooks at the time. So I'd kind of gotten into like fantasy and horror a little bit. And I was mm -hmm. like, I could totally write a book doing this. Right. <laughs> like each, each time I'd have to turn in an assignment, cause this is going to go the whole school year. And you know, when you're younger, school year feels like it goes on forever. forever. Yeah. So, so, so I started writing my, uh, every one of my assignments had to was essentially just a, a piece of this book. And okay. I really didn't know what I was doing. It, I, I can, I can still vividly remember what the story was. I just, mm -hmm. I, I, by the time I got to the end, there were still a lot of gaps. Like, cause I, I kind of hit just the, the big talking point points, right. Yeah. You know, like the big just the exciting very parts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so it certainly was not anywhere near complete, even by the end of the school year. <laughs> by <laughs> no means. Um, but that was kind of my idea. And then summer came and it wasn't as important. And <laughs> by the next year, I had a different teacher and we had to do different things. And, yeah. and uh, so it kind of fell by the way. So, but that was the, my first attempt at writing a book. And I played D&D &D pretty much from the time I was in middle school. And so my next attempt to write a book was I had been playing with this particular group for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, some of the adventures that we've gone on would make great stories, right? <laughs> so I start writing a book. And I, I got five or six chapters in and pfft, again, it just it was kind of, yeah, yeah, I just, I lost the passion for it. The, the group ended up, I ended up moving away but it it, it was kind of the, the group was kind of already had fallen off by then because two of the other members had already moved away at that point. Mm. And so that was kind of the final nail in the coffin as we just, you know, we were all going our separate ways at that point. So, um, so yeah, so that was my next attempt. I, I tried again with a fantasy book several years later. And then I, my last kind of effort before I actually wrote a book, I had, I had decided I was just going to write down like short stories. My grandfather uh, before he passed away, he had written a couple books. One of them was like a mm -hmm. poetry book and another one was just stories, okay. you know, 
stories that he'd lived through in his life um, growing up through the, the depression and things like that. And so I thought kind of well, a memoir sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, I could probably do that. Right. Like we've mm -hmm. all kind of had experiences. Right. And uh, I got further. I think I made it up to about. 12 chapters <laughs> okay so we're making progress <laughs> yeah i made made about 12 stories and uh that one again kind of kind of fell off the wayside now the the one thing about that particular book is i did finally eventually put those short stories on like my blogs like i've got blog posts okay. and short stories and stuff on my website so many of them did survive and many of them are currently available to read if somebody were to go search them out um, and that link but all the other be, ones are just lost. <laughs> that link will be in the show notes for the episode. So we'll make <laughs> it you. easy for people to find it. <laughs> there you go. If you want to see, you want to want to read some of my uh, short stories of, of growing up in, in small town, Idaho and a few other things, then that would be the, the place to go. But, but yes, that was kind of my whole journey to getting to the point where I actually was able to write a book finally. <laughs> so, so the, the story, the short story one, cause now you've released a full length novel, but the, the short story one, how long did it take you to kind of work on that book? And what did you do once you finished draft one? So with the, with the short stories, I didn't, the, what I had done with it is I had written it down almost more like a journal. I, I mean, okay. like I said, it was, it was, it was memoir-ish, but it was, it was, I kind of took like, okay this trip to Las Vegas that I was on and there these crazy things that happened on this trip to Las Vegas became mm -hmm. like a chapter. Right. And, okay. and then I, you know, I, my, one of my favorite stories that I get compliment, I don't know if I, get, I mean, I, the one I've gotten the most traction with, let's put it that way. Okay. Compliments <laughs> might be, might sound a little bit anyway, is, uh, this story that I, I titled the time I helped clean up a murder. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, it, it's a story that I would tell people and people would just be like fascinated by it. And so I thought, well, this should definitely be something that I've written down because my right. kids would reference it and be like, Oh dad, you remember that time you were telling us about that? You know? And, uh, and so that was, that was kind of the one I, that wasn't, that wasn't the first story I wrote. The first little short story, like memoir thing I wrote was this one I titled swinger girl. And uh, it's, it was just one of those moments. Like I, I'm not so vainglorious that I assume every, Thing I've ever done in my life has been completely unique to me, right? There's got to be other mm -hmm. people. There's eight billion of us in the world, right? So it's almost everything that I, that I've had happen to me has probably happened to at least one other person, except that story. I can't necessarily say that that's the case because it happened. I was working in Virginia at a pizza place, and the the place was located kind of in the middle of like a neighborhood, and okay. so there were all these houses across the street, mm -hmm. and um. One day I was just making pizzas and I noticed that there was this girl that lived in the street, in the house across the street, who was always swinging in her backyard. Like from the moment she came home, apparently to the moment she, I guess, went to dinner or something, she would just sit in the backyard and just swing on this swing set, which, you know, perfectly fine. A child can do that. I it, it didn't even think of anything as like odd to me until the first time it snowed. And I mean, it snowed hard. This was like, I grew up in Idaho and this seemed like a big snow to me, right? Like I was mm -hmm. used to snow. This was a ton of snow and she was out there swinging in the snow. And I mean, she had to have like, I don't know how she did it even. She must have dug a <laughs> trench or something to be able to swing. And I thought that seems kind of interesting. Like it was, and it wasn't, like I said, this might've been just a thing for her. Maybe she was neurodivergent. Maybe it was just something that calmed her. I really don't know the story, honestly, other than that I was the one that witnessed it. Mm -hmm. And then like it would all these other times, pouring rain. We're talking like thunderstorm downpour, lightning outside. She's out there swinging. And I'm thinking, 
I just it, I like it there's sounds just, it sounds autistic. <laughs> it sounds like an autistic thing. You know, right? But it, like I said, it was such an interesting thing to me in that like this was what brought her peace. I'm assuming. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And so like. Anyway, that that to me is just one of those things where, like, again, I never interacted with her. I never spoke a word to her. I never saw her other than through the window of my pizza joint that I was working at. And her Rain parents Shine, probably thought you were a creeper, just like. Well, I didn't. Like I said, I wasn't. <laughs> if it hadn't been for being directly across the street, right. I wouldn't even have noticed it. But uh, but yeah, like I said, but that was one of those things where I thought there can only be so many people on this planet that have experienced that, right? right like that right. would have been in a scenario, been in the perfect kind of situation where they would see something like that going on. And so like that was kind of the first one that kind of got me to like say, okay, well, if I can write that down and put it into words and like you said, admittedly, it's one of those things where, you you know, I'm not it's not necessarily that it's a story that I'm actually being able to tell the whole part of. I can just tell my experiences from it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can only give it my side of the, of the story. Right. And once I had done that and I felt okay about that one. So then I moved on to the, to the, to the, the car wash. Well, it's, it's the, the murder cleanup, which happened at a car wash. And, uh, and so that one, I like, I wrote that down. I was like, Oh, well, okay. Now I'm getting some fire. Right. Like I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to get these stories, this story thing down. And uh, so what then, like, what other crazy I, situation can I put myself into and write about? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had another one I, uh, that I that I titled "Zombie Cat" because it was the time I encountered a, a cat that I'm pretty sure just came back from the dead to attack me. Um, there was just you know <laughs> stuff like that. So it's like things like this, and it was like again, these are life experiences. These aren't like these aren't like crazy, crazy stories, but they're kind of they're very unique. They they usually had some kind of kind of bombastic feeling to them. Um, the one I was mentioning in Las Vegas, one of the stories from that time was I was with this group of people. We were all in a manager's conference there. And one of the, one of the gentlemen that I was with, he goes, Hey, we want, I want to go to the club. And I'm like, I'm not a club person. Like not, not only am I not a club person, I'm like probably as far away from the possibility of a club person as you can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, I'll come along with y'all just, if nothing else, I'll be the designated driver kind of thing or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you need somebody to make sure that the rest of you are, are not being idiots, I'll, I'll at least be there to, you know, if I have to spring you all from jail, at least I'll be the one that does that. But we go to the, we, we go searching and we came to this club and it had this huge line, right? This big line coming out of the club. And, uh, this guy that I was with, I think, I think his name was Chris. I, I, right now the, the actual name of him is, is kind of slipping my mind, but and he goes, oh, no, no, don't worry. I'm going to go up and get us in and, and like pass the, the bouncer some money and he's going to let us in. And I'm thinking that only works in the movies like this is God, <laughs> there's no way that's a real thing. Right. Like yeah. that, that, you know, that, and what he goes up, gives the guy a hundred dollar bill and this dude lets five of us in. And I'm like, there's what? <laughs> like all these people in line are looking at us like, what are we doing? I, I don't You're know. Like, I don't know. I, I'm with him. I, I, don't, I don't know what's seriously. happening. Seriously, it was one of the weirdest. So again, it's just one of those things where like, I can't even tell you other than I probably drank Diet Cokes at the club. I couldn't even tell you hardly anything else that went on that (laughs) night other than I had never like this all seemed like a total fantasy to me. And yet it worked. And it was anyway, it was just one of those bizarre moments in life that you're just like, really? So uh, so those are the kind of stories that I was writing down. Like I said, I got about 12 of them down. I think 10 or 11 of them are on the actual website. Um, There was a couple that. I kind of weeded out because either they felt repetitive, like they were mm-hmm. kind of redundant with another story. 
Um, or I didn't feel like they kind of had the same oomph as some of the yeah. other stories I had. Like, well, that one was boring, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might be fun for me and my parents to, you know, talk about or something, but probably for the general audience, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't as big a deal. So. That's funny. You mentioned your kids asking you about it, because, like, we would, that was a big thing when we were, my mom was a Navy brat, and so she traveled, her childhood, she spent all over the world, um, and so... Like we would ask, you know, tell us a story from when you were a kid. And of course, we're getting stories from when she was in Japan and she had a man of war, man of war. Is that the dangerous jellyfish? Yeah, thing? the jellyfish. Yep. She, yep. They were swimming in the ocean and her friend had one go across her back. And like she would tell us these stories of like they were in California and had other crazy stuff happen or they were you know, in a boring place doing <laughs> less exciting things. But she would just tell us these stories and because she had been all over the world from the time she was born in Africa. So, like, just all these <laughs> stories from all these different times, it feels very similar to you telling your kids. <laughs> but hers were more worldwide and more like from the lens of her being a kid because, I mean, she was still a kid when her dad retired. So, um, yeah, it feels... Feels the same. So you you write these twelve now ten published ish <laughs> short stories. When did like novels come into play? So well, I have COVID to thank for that, and I you know I know that this wasn't. <laughs> I think a lot first... of authors yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the first time you're probably hearing that. Um, we when when COVID actually hit, I I, I have this. I, I've told this story before in December prior to COVID coming around, I was actually, uh, I was actually at a, a, I, I wasn't the person that was participating. I was like helping to cater essentially a government party and they, the people there, these are like kind of high ranking government people, not like high ranking, but like they, they work for state agencies and things like that. And they're all mm -hmm. just joking about this COVID thing. They're they, this they're they're they oh we heard this thing about this COVID bug or whatever like ah ha 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 you know yeah. and they're kind of laughing it off. And fast forward into March, boom, right. it's not a joke anymore, right? And so uh, so the job that I was or the job that I'm at, I mean, still, but but my job, they you know essentially told me, look, we need you know we're going to send everybody home for a couple of weeks and just kind of see where things are at, right? This is mm -hmm. prior to you know, everything's really getting shut down. So they're just, for, as a precaution, we're just going to send everybody home. Right. So well, and I feel I like a most companies and schools well, did that. A lot of them did. So my daughter was in, you know, I had one daughter in college. I had another daughter in high school. Everybody has to come home naturally. Mm -hmm. And so, and we have to quarantine because, you know, well, one came from this place and one came, you know, so we have to stay right. and we can't. So one night we're sitting there and we're talking about the fact that I tell these stories, you know, mm -hmm. and that, you know, and, and we were kind of just, broaching the fact that a lot of authors get started by doing shorter stories or get doing things. And, mm -hmm. and we were talking about, you know, I was just talking about kind of experiences, like some weird, you know, paranormal experiences and things I've had out and, you know, growing up in Idaho and stuff. And, and they said, well, dad, you should totally, you know, you should write a book. You should write a book. You know, I think you're, you're a good enough storyteller. You should try to write a book. And I said, well, I've tried. It just always fails. You know, right. Like, it's, it's, this isn't, this isn't necessarily course, the first time it would happen. We're all defined by our 15 year old self that failed at this thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I said, you know what? You're right. We've got two weeks here at home. I, you know, I can't really do much else. I'll sit down and try to write this book. And 
And really the catalyst for it was just talking about cryptids. So we, we were talking about Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and things like mm-hmm. that. And my my daughters listen to a lot of podcasts that deal with, you know, uh, creatures, you know, chupacabras and things like that. And so mm-hmm. I said, well, OK, OK, I can I can write a book about about that. Right. You know, and and so I sat down, and started writing and ah, the it wasn't the first night, but it was maybe like the, the second day or something. I had already cranked out like three chapters. And that oh was way faster than I'd ever written, right? Yeah. Like, and uh, and I'm very much a pantser. I had no idea where the story was going. I just, <laughs> I, I wrote one chapter and it's like, oh, well, okay. What what happens after that? Well, naturally, this has to be the next chapter, right? And then <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, well, nope, okay, that's. And, um, and so I had gotten these three chapters down and then I kind of was looking around. I was going, well, maybe I need to get serious about actually thinking about this book, you know, because mm-hmm. that was not. Again, I was kind of doing it just as something to kind of keep my mind off everything else that was going on in the right. world. And uh, and so I got really serious about it. And I, I I still pantsed it. I mean, I kind of, by the time I made it to about the fifth chapter, I kind of knew what I wanted the ending to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had some targets, but right. I still didn't know where the story was going, right? Right. And uh, <laughs> so that was it. You know, that was, it It took me about two months from, from start to finish to, to get to the end. And... Uh, and when I finished, I was like, wow, you know, I mean, I, I got pretty emotional. I mean, it was like Memorial Day weekend uh, was was when I finally like I remember typing the the end or whatever I typed at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like one in the morning. I was probably sitting at my desk, probably crying. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, <laughs> I finally, I finally did, did this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, I cannot believe I finally got this done. And um, and of course, then see, the funny thing, of course, as a first time author you don't realize what the actual work is, right? It's right. The writing it, <laughs> while it's hard, yeah. it's nowhere near the editing and the revising and all the other stuff that goes into it. So uh, so it took me, I, I actually spent that summer working on revisions. Um, I got a uh, editor involved and I was, I was just gonna, I had written this book with the truest of intentions was to just give it to my family. I mean, mm-hmm. basically it was like, I'll write this book, I'll get it, you know, kind of made to look nice. You know, I don't want it. I don't want to present junk, but right. I was just going to make it look nice. I was going to put it up on Amazon or someplace and tell my family, Hey, if y'all want to go buy this book, it's this book that I wrote and, you know, order a few copies that I could give to each of my kids and call it a day. Mm-hmm. And I sent the book to this editor and she said, well, are you going to query this book? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what, <laughs> like querying, like, <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you expound on that? And, um, and so she said, she said, you know, I think you've got a, a good story here. Um, I would say, you know, I, cause she worked with the editor or with, uh, with authors that, you know, had been traditionally published. And, and so I did, I sought out, you know, I sought out agents, uh, by that fall. Um, I got quite a good bunch of feedback from agents and, and I got, you know, I got full requests for manuscripts and stuff. And I ended up eventually, uh, an indie publisher actually offered me a contract on my book, which was really cool. I didn't have an mm-hmm. agent, but I did have a, a publisher interested. And so I did. I signed my book on to to this indie publisher out of Ohio, and uh, it was looking really cool. They had already published uh, a few books. And uh, unfortunately, they uh, they had us. It was what I didn't realize when I signed on, but came out later was essentially it was like a family business. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, some members of the family decided they didn't want to be in the business anymore. Mm. And because of that, there was some some problems with finances. And uh, so anyway, it dissolved, but I got my rights back and I had a book that had been 
you know, drug through the mud of beta reading for yeah. several rounds. It had, you know, I'd had a professional editor had worked on it once. I had now better experience. You know, I knew mm -hmm. more people in the industry. I knew more people uh, that that could help me to get to the right connections. And um, and I was very proud of the book. And I was, I mean, it had gone through a lot of revisions. I think from the first draft to the final was about 14 different revisions, including mm -hmm. the ending, which I I'd originally thought of and loved. I ended up changing because beta readers <laughs> did not love it. So. Oh no! <laughs> You're like, but well, that's my favorite part. <laughs> you know, sometimes we uh, we make sacrifices. But again, one of the reasons I had to make sacrifices for it is that um, I wanted this to be a book that people would, more people would just read besides just the single book. I wanted to make more books, and I mm -hmm. knew that going in. Like, I knew I wanted additional books. Um, my original kind of, I don't, I don't know, I what you'd call it. Uh, if, if I had my original druthers, it would have been three different books based kind of on characters loosely based on my three different daughters. Um, that's not how it ended up kind of panning out. <laughs> but um, as the additional books will not will not function that way. Um, but uh, but that was kind of my my original like, you know, idealistic uh, thought for it was a, a three book series. Each of each daughter kind of gets a starring role and, and that's not how it's going to work out, but that's okay. So <laughs> they're you cool with that, so. <laughs> finish a book, go through revisions, get a publisher, get your rights back from the publisher. <laughs> how did you like, what did you do next? <laughs> um, well, I, like I said, I had this book that I loved and I was ready to self publish. Well, I was ready to have it published. And I guess at that point, what I discovered if, is going through I had met a lot more authors. I'd met traditionally published authors. I'd met self-published authors. And to me, I didn't want to go back through that process at this point, mm -hmm. having now gotten a book that I was really, I, I, I told somebody, I was talking to somebody else on a, on a uh, right after the book had come out, I, I had the opportunity to go on and talk with some people that were like authors in a little conference thing. And I told somebody, I would have told you straight to your face that when my book got signed by that uh, publisher, that it, that book was so ready and that book was mm -hmm. so not ready. Right. <laughs> like mm -hmm. more, but now after this whole year of, of the beta reads and the, the revisions and all this other stuff, I was like, okay, no, now this story really is ready because now I'm ready to move. Like I, as the author was ready to move on. Mm -hmm. I, I, but I needed to get that book out for me to be able to do that properly. Right. If, right. if that makes sense. And so, um, so that's that's what it came down to. And the crazy thing is, is that not only did I self-publish, I mean, I, I formatted it myself, which I some people like doing, some people don't like doing. Um, you know, I I was able to keep it fairly condensed. The my my cover art and everything was actually from a friend of my daughter's from college. So that, you know, she she gave me a pretty rosy deal on on the art. Um you know, like I said, I, I, a lot of the stuff I was able to just kind of do in house. And I was like, this book is let's, let's get it out there. So I sent it to arc readers and, uh, got a lot of positive feedback from the arc readers and there it was. <laughs> <laughs> so you, how did you go about finding your beta readers and your editor? And like, what order did you do those in? I did it all in the wrong order. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, when I mentioned that I had got that editor involved early on, um, granted she, it was, it was good of me to have her involved because she's the one that helped me encourage me to actually seek this mm -hmm. to be more than just some book that I put together myself and called a day. Um, but the book wasn't in a place where it really, at that point, it shouldn't have gotten an editor. It should have gotten some beta readers or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, most of the beta readers, uh, of my, however many, I think I had almost 20 beta readers total. 
of my 20, I think 12 of them came from the actual publication, the, the publisher. So the okay. publisher got me a bunch of tr like 12 true, real beta readers, right? Like mm -hmm. people had no clue who I was, didn't know me from, you know, they got just a book that didn't even have a name, like an author on it. It just mm -hmm. said, this is the book, read it, tell, give us your feedback. And so, um, so that was very, A, it was humbling, <laughs> you know, because yeah. uh, <laughs> you, you find out some things when complete strangers are reading your book. Um, but, uh, but it was also, like I said, it was also very informative. It gave me a lot of cues to say, okay, well, you know, like I said, that ending that I personally liked, but nobody else did. Well, that tells me I probably need to change the ending. So. Right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so, so for me, it was, it was editor, which shouldn't have been first. And then I had some beta readers that I contacted through an author group. So there was, okay. I, I, by that point so I had gotten kind of knew you, but not really. Right. Exactly. Like, like they, your best friend did it. <laughs> no, no. Like we've never met for tea. You know, we, you know, it's, we, we've never seen each other face to face other than on maybe a zoom call or something. Right. But, um, but yeah, so I got a couple of beta readers involved then. Um, I, on my like my fulls, I got a couple of full re manuscript requests I mentioned before, but I also got a couple of revised and resubmits. And those those beta readers, those beta readers were because essentially because I got those revised and resubmits. I was like, well, mm -hmm. okay, well, let me change it a bit and then see what these beta readers think before I send it back. Right. And uh, and so that helped. And then, like I said, once I actually was with the publisher, they handled most of the beta and and some of that stuff on their own. I didn't really have to be involved with that other than to submit revisions. You know, they'd send it to a round of beta readers, usually four of them at a time. They'd send me back the suggestions. I'd send them a new copy of the manuscript after mm -hmm. I'd made those changes and the process, you know, would go over and over. And, um, and then, like I said, I, once it became fairly clear because it was, I got my rights back in like March of 20 of last year, basically. But mm -hmm. by that J January, I had pretty much figured out that it was not, probably going to happen because it was like Christmas time is when their family thing had happened. And it was, it was becoming pretty clear that things were, were either grinding to a halt or might just be dissolved completely. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, my book's like two away from being published. Like they, I was, there was one person before me and then there were supposed to be mine. And, uh, they had talked about the fact that they had, they had apparently contacted an artist. They'd done all this stuff, but I didn't get to see any of that. When I got my rights back, I did get my rights back. I got the full book version that I'd submitted to them came back to me, but I didn't get any artwork. I didn't get, mm. you know, it wasn't formatted. And so that's when things kind of kicked into gear. I was like, well, okay, I'm going to have to do this. And I'd already, you know, I'd spent a lot of money on that initial editor, way less than what some people do, but I'd still spent money on an editor. And <laughs> I've heard um, some crazy numbers. I'm yeah, like, yeah, there's no yeah. world in which I would pay that for anybody. <sighs> yeah. Unless, unless I had some, like, I understand, like I've, I've, I'm not going to say queried editors, but I have talked to a few editors about like their rates and stuff. And like, it makes sense. Like the, the ones I've talked to charge like by the word. So I'm like, yeah. you know, I could see, and it's the same for narrators. I could see a crazy number to pay your narrator if your book is really, really long. But if you have a standard length book, I'm like, those numbers seem really high to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, it shocked me. Some of the, I actually, so there's a, there's a gentleman that, um, not long after I had, had gotten the publisher had signed me, mm -hmm. I, I actually, there was an, I was in an, an author group already, but I had been, I don't remember, I was doing something on Twitter and this guy reached out to me through Twitter and he was like, Hey, uh, I noticed you've got a book that got signed. We've got like an author's group that meets here in the South. He said, cause he knew I was from South Carolina. It was, you mm -hmm. know, it was where my base was. 
And he said, we got an author's group down here and we, I'd love to see, you know, if you'd like to come and just see us with one of our meetups or whatever. And so I joined and one of the authors in that group who lives here, not far from me, I've actually met him a few times. He had paid an outland. I mean, you talk about some outlandish numbers. He had paid a crazy amount for a book that essentially he couldn't use anymore because oh like, like the, the, the editor had really butchered it up pretty bad. Well, I shouldn't say butchered it. The editor had taken it and said, this is the way this should go. And he was too naive an author to know that you don't necessarily let the editors change everything. You take their suggestions or you do, you know, so the and editor rewrote the book, essentially wrote, rewrote whole portions of the book Good and grief. charged him a lot of money, like three times what I had paid for a slightly shorter book than what mine was good <laughs> was grief like, yeah and uh and again for a book that he wasn't happy with and i was like man you know and so yeah so it it definitely happens uh, i've always had again i've always had really good relationships with my editors so that you know yeah. <laughs> for me it's like um but uh but yeah it can definitely get scary out there um as far as the formatting i I, I know that there's programs out there, but again, I was pretty much at that point on such a budget for me that uh, I just did it in Microsoft Word. I think it looks great. Mm -hmm. um, most people like it. You, you wouldn't know it, but uh, it can be done. It, you don't even need one of the fancy apps that are the, the tools out there that they have. Um, Vela and some or Vellum, I think is one of them. Yeah, Vellum and, and Atticus are the two yeah, big Atticus, ones. Yeah, so that, yeah. and Atticus is one that my, I just had a short story that literally just was in an anthology that released about three days ago. Um, they use they use Atticus and I I mean it looks fantastic I don't you know don't, don't get me wrong I think that mm -hmm. their book probably does look better than what my book did technically <laughs> but it my book was still fine I, I'm not ashamed of it or anything like that so um, and I didn't cost any money my mine didn't cost any money to format so right yeah I plan on getting <laughs> so me and my husband both write so some things like I bought pro writing aid, but when we file taxes at the end of the year, I'm splitting that between us because we're both using go. it. So Vellum, I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to split the cost of it because we're both going to be using it. So yeah. I have a Mac. I can, I, I've heard, I just talked to an author last week or week before that was like, I have Atticus. Don't use Atticus. <laughs> <laughs> well, something about like because Atticus hasn't been out that long and so like they haven't super super I mean it was just in beta last year like beta testing yeah. so but like Vellum is like well developed has been out for a while is known in the industry and so they were like you know foot they had gotten a really good deal on Atticus so they bought Atticus <laughs> and I'm like yeah it's like pro writing aid there are cheaper editing softwares than pro writing aid but I'm like if everybody's telling me that's the best I'd rather pay the money for the best and I bought the lifetime subscription so I don't have to pay for it again <laughs> there you so, go there you go I'm like that makes a was, lot of sense <laughs> I don't remember I got it on a some kind of sale I don't remember what the holiday was but it was like hey that works so <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always like, there are things, you know, with every new book that comes out, you're going to have, like, expenses that are going to be specific. Like, every book, you have to have a cover. Every book, you yep. should have an editor, beta readers, or something, some other person besides you looking at your book. Every book, you're going to have, like, there's going to be specific ex expenses for every single book. But then there are some expenses that are like, oh, that applies to every single book that I have. So if you pay for... Yeah like a social media scheduler or a PA or, you know, whatever, that's not all on one book unless you only have one book out. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like that expense is like for authors that like break down their expenses per book. It's like, 
Well, some of those don't only just go to one book, so. <laughs> Very true. Well, and and I what I have what I have pro kind of set myself on as I've continued now to write and and put out more material is there is probably going to be the day that I will just break down and say, yeah, I need some of these other pieces mm -hmm. to continue to to put out good. Because what I don't want is I don't want every single thing to just be super like you know. I, I wanted I want to continue to develop as an author and I want to continue right. to get better and I want my books to get better. And so, right. yes, I'm going to have to do that eventually. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm a little bit of a brat that I'm like, I want it to be the best from the get go. And like I talked to an author who tried, I think they tried, they said they tried to do it in Word and then they ended up having to pay somebody to format it because it didn't work right um, it was like it looked good on their end until they got it up into like the ebook format and it did not look good anymore. <laughs> well, and that's that's one of the trickiest parts is you have like for me, basically what I did is I went into Kindle, did their little Kindle download thing that lets mm -hmm. you format your book in Kindle. I did that. And then essentially I had a program that allowed me to flip that over and just make it into whatever the other style file is. I don't remember which the two are. There's the Kindle one is like a Moab or something like that. And then the other one's a different style. But I took that same file and just plugged it into all the other ebook places I needed it. Mm. And it did fine. Now, it was not, I'll be honest, that is one place that I'm a little bit disappointed. On my ebook, there is one spot where it, for some reason, it should have been bold and it wasn't bold. And I could not <laughs> get it to fix. And I finally gave up. I, I tried to do it for like two days straight. I just could not get over the hump on it. And, um, and so that's my only like, but again, that's one of those reasons why maybe I would go in the future and getting an, an Atticus or something like that, or, or the vellum or something, just because then I would know, yes, this will get it into that format. No questions asked. Mm -hmm. But again, like I said, for me, it wasn't bad, but it's, uh, uh, it, it's just the one little, the one little piece of, you know, that I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, so you get your cover, you get it formatted. And then obviously, since you now have a book available, you got it, <laughs> you got it live somehow. How did you go I about did. doing that? <laughs> Well, so this is where having having author groups really helped um, mm -hmm. because, again, I didn't really know like ISBNs. Mm -hmm. No clue what that was at first. Um, I I had, again, having it with a publisher while I was with that publisher, like I said, I was signed for basically about a year with them. In that time, they released four books over that course that year. And mm -hmm. so I got to see each of those books. A lot of times what they would do is is as a book was was being prepared they'd share it with all the authors on that were in the publishing house, you know, and be mm -hmm. like, okay, Hey, everybody, here's the next book that's coming, you know, check this over. If you, you know, if you notice anything, we've got our own people, but we're just kind of sending it out to you guys. If you want to take a look and kind of, and so I was kind of learning the process a little bit as I went. So they were kind and of using you guys as beta readers. They kind of were, I mean, which was fine. I didn't, I personally didn't mind because I knew they were kind of a smaller outfit, so that didn't necessarily bother me. Mm -hmm. What was I going to do in the meantime? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was right. writing. but You're like, I'm just I, waiting for you to get my book ready. Like, <laughs> Right. I, that was kind of my thought of it, is, like, the faster that I help them get other books out, the faster it comes my turn. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, so, uh, so I had kind of seen kind of the stages. But going into those author groups and actually talking to people and saying, okay, hey, I know you self-published last year. I know you self-published a few months ago. What? What did you need to get done? And so I was able to start the process. You know, I was able to go in and, and have my Amazon author account created two or three months before I actually was going to release the book. I was able mm -hmm. to go in and, and like I said, just for something as simple as getting that Kindle tool downloaded and know that it existed. I, mm -hmm. Again, I didn't know this prior to, and, um, and so I did, I, I did, 
I definitely, I will, uh, people ask, uh, I get people that ask me a lot, especially like if I'm talking to just people in the area about books, we'll say stuff like, well, isn't, uh, doesn't it cost a lot or can't you do like publish a book pretty much for free? And I'm like, you can, Mm -hmm. but there, it depends on what you want to get out of it. Right. And so I Mm -hmm. had this, you know, starry eyed thought that, oh, well, I want to get my book in all these bookstores and stuff. So I'm going to do everything. (laughs) And I spent money that I probably didn't need to spend. I shouldn't say I didn't need to spend, but I, I bought ISBNs. You don't have to do that. Right. Uh, you can. It helps to go wide if you do. So I bought ISBNs. Excuse me. Um, I went out and talked to, to bookstores and said, well, what do you need? Well, you need to be with Ingram Spark. We're not going to buy books from Amazon. You know, mm-hmm. that's what our local bookstores are telling me. Okay, well, what's Ingram Spark? Let me go and find out about, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, yeah. I had kind of been dealing with this over some time. And so I pretty much, after I got my rights back, I spent about the next week just getting things settled on the back end, as in making sure I had ISBNs, making sure I knew where I was going to distribute, mm-hmm. making sure, you know, what the prices were going to be. Then I actually got the confirmation that I had like the, because by then, like I said, I knew having known a couple of months before I got my rights back, I had already started the process of getting cover already started the process of some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff was pretty much waiting for me to just give them the go ahead. Like, yes, let's do it. So I can give right, you some money and right. you can give me my art. <laughs> so, um, so, so I, I kind of, like I said, it, it kind of was timed around the same time that I would have gotten my taxes back. So that's kind mm-hmm. of what, you know, like I said, I kind of knew that there was these expenses coming. I kind of took that. And, uh, and then I said, okay, well, I'm going to do this book launch, but I knew I wanted to have arc readers. So I, from the time I got my, my rights back until I actually had my first ever copy of my book in my hand, like physical copy of my book in my hand was about four weeks total. So, and that first copy was terrible. And part of it was because I, I, uh, I formatted some of the, the page numbers wrong. Mm. Um, and some other things that I just, again, I, I thought I knew what I was doing and I did, I mean, I, I knew more than I had previously, but I still needed, <laughs> I need some work. Yeah. And so, so luckily you have author copies, but, um, but so that was the first time I held the book. And that's at, at that time is when I went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to get these arcs out. And I started contacting, um, people through TikTok, through Twitter, through, uh, just kind of happenstance through the author groups. I said, Hey, well, mm-hmm. y'all, I'm going to, I'm going to, I made this little Google uh, form for people to apply to be an arc reader. Mm-hmm. And so I'd send the links to the author groups and they'd send it up to their local, you know, reader book clubs and different things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I got, I got 30 something people off of TikTok alone. I'm pretty sure TikTok really helped me with, with all that. Part yeah. Of it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard they're a little bit helpful. <laughs> That's definitely not how you found me. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, you know, that was, and that was kind of where they got the ball rolling. So a few things about the, the art process though. And I know that this was kind of something that happened like one of the real, or the recent controversies on TikTok. This might be dating us a little bit too much here, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm not old. <laughs> no, not, you know, but, <laughs> but the the people that were talking about like, you know, suing your arc readers and stuff. I mm-hmm. had arc readers that gave me some feedback because one of the things that had happened for me was my publisher had gotten me sensitivity readers because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's what you should do as a, as an author. Again, this is one of those expenses that, you know, some people will say, oh, well, you don't really need to do that. No, I, I really sincerely think you should pursue sensitivity readers, especially if you're dealing with anything that is outside of, Again, I'm a 
you know, a, a white cis male. So I definitely, if I'm, you know, touching any subjects yeah. that aren't there, I need to have it. Uh, uh, if you're you know, staying some... only in your own lane, only right. in only. your own lane, right. Right. not necessary. Right. Maybe, maybe yeah. should still be done, but not definitely necessary. If you're right. going outside of your lane. Yeah. Maybe yeah. have someone review it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, my main my main character is 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 a young woman, and so again, yeah, that's you know, that's something I wanted to make. Again, I have it's it's inspired from my daughters, and so I had a lot of their feedback too to help me. But but so they had gotten me sensitivity readers, and so I'd gotten feedback from these sensitivity readers. I had made changes based on some of the sensitivity reader stuff. Mm-hmm. When I sent out my arcs, one of the first arcs that I sent out, a complete stranger. First of mm-hmm. all, this person again, I I don't even know if at the time we we're even friends on fate on Twitter, TikTok, whatever at the time. Um, she had gotten the, gotten the, the book and sent me back some feedback probably within a few days. I mean, like she clearly had to have read it fairly fast, you know, mm-hmm. to, and she mentioned a couple things that were still in the book that I had, they were changes I had made based on what the sensitivity readers were saying, except that I'm guessing these sensitivity readers were, I don't know. I don't know where they found them. Cause again, I didn't ever meet them. I, I just right. got their notes and. But there was a couple of things that were that were issues because one of them involved uh, a Native American um, folklore, and it was something that they had told me to change the previous in a previous uh, thing. But when I actually went based on this person's you know knowledge and talking to me mm-hmm. about it, I went and actually looked up. I was like, yeah, no, this this person gave me the wrong advice. I mean, it was literally mm-hmm. like they had told me the wrong thing, and so I made a change to the book even after the arcs had gone out. Um, so I think what which, you learned from that was do the research before making the change. <laughs> and that's that's it. You know, again, I was a baby author. I didn't know. I just was taking what these people were saying and saying, oh, well, certainly I'm going to have to change that. See, I'm do not, research. I'm not turd. That's like, <laughs> I have to prove you wrong. So I'm going to go look it up. First. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, so um, yeah, so that so there was the thing about it was is that I was grateful for the arc readers because they mm-hmm. did help me with some of that stuff as far as like, you know, Hey, heads up. I don't know if you noticed, but on page 248, it says it's 246 again, you know, it's like mm. or so, just little tiny things like that. So I was literally making changes on my book up until about two weeks before it actually released, but I gave myself a big release. I mean, I had my books, my arcs going out two full months before I was, the book was supposed to publish. Mm. So I wanted that time because I knew there was going to be these things were going to right, come up, right? right? I knew stuff was going to happen that was going to be like, oh, you know. So, like, you know, um, at the point that it goes to arcs, it should be, it should be almost completely ready to publish. Like, at the point it goes right. to arcs, like, you're not sending arcs to the pre-edited version. No, 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 no. <laughs> No. Um, so at that point, you're like, any any little thing left is going to be like a nitpicky little oops thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like I said, it was, uh, I, I was very grateful. And again, for me, I, I understand the concept of, I, I don't go into my review spaces, but if mm-hmm. people tag me in reviews, I'm, that's great. If somebody yeah. wants to give me a one-star review, fantastic. You took the time to read my book. I am grateful for that. You know what I'm saying? So like, uh, that's, that's a place where I just, I don't get why some people get really weird about it. Yeah. I'm, 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 
I'm of the mind, and now I get reviews as a narrator, but I'm of the mind that if I get tagged in something, now it's a little bit rude if you're tagging me in a lower starred review. But if you're tagging me in a review, you are now opening it up for me to comment. Can I also choose not to comment on it? Yes. Yes, I can. Because I have my own brain and can make my own decisions. (laughs) So there's some that I'm just like, why... Why does that matter? Like, why is that the thing that you're stuck on? <laughs> my my level of interaction with most reviews, especially ones I get tagged in, is simply to uh, contact that individual and just say, hey, is it okay if I share this? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's my real concern. I don't want to share something that they're not comfortable with. Generally, if you put it on TikTok, I'm assuming you mean it for it to be shared, but I don't right. want to assume, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that's that's usually the level of my interaction. It's a, hey, you know, I'm going to share this to my, to my feed so that people can see this review. And that's, that's, I'm done with it at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh... Neil liked Rumpelstiltskin growing up. And since we've already read this story, we're going to read another Grimm story with a weird name, Fundefogel. Foundling Bird, or Fundefogel, is a German fairy tale collected by the Brothers Grimm. Number 51. It is Arne Thompson, type 313A. The girl helps the hero flee and revolves around a transformation chase. Others of the type include the Master Maid, the Water Nixie, Nix Not Nothing, and the Two Kings' Children. Don't forget we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, a story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the Round Table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Fun de Fogel. There was once a forester who went into the forest to hunt, And as he entered it, he heard a sound of screaming as if a little child were there. He followed the sound, and at last came to a high tree, and at the top of this a little child was sitting, for the mother had fallen asleep under the tree with the child, and the bird of prey had seen it in her arms, had flown down, snatched it away, and set it on the high tree. The forester climbed up, brought the child down, and thought to himself— You will take him home with you and bring him up with your Lena. He took it home, therefore, and the two children grew up together, and the one which he had found on a tree was called Fundefogel, because a bird had carried it away. Fundefogel and Lena loved each other so dearly that when they did not see each other, they were sad. Now the forester had an old cook, who one evening took two pails and began to fetch water, and did not go once only, but many times out to the spring. Lena saw this and said, Listen, old Sanna, why are you fetching so much water? If you will never repeat it to anyone, I will tell you why. So Lena said, no, she would never repeat it to anyone. And then the cook said, Early tomorrow morning, when the forester is out hunting, I will heat the water. And when it is boiling in the kettle, I will throw in Fundefogel and will boil him in it. Early next morning, the forester got up and went out hunting. And when he was gone, the children were still in bed. Then Lena said to Fundefogel, If you will never leave me, I too will never leave you. Fundefogel said, Neither now nor ever will I leave you. Then said Lena, Then I will tell you. Last night, old Santa carried so many buckets of water into the house that I asked her why she was doing that, and she said that if I would promise not to tell anyone. And she said that early tomorrow morning when father was out hunting, she would set the kettle full of water. 
throw you into it and boil you. But we will get up quickly, dress ourselves, and go away together. The two children therefore got up, dressed themselves quickly, and went away. When the water in the kettle was boiling, the cook went into the bedroom to fetch Fundafogel and throw him into it. But when she came in and went to the beds, both the children were gone. And she was terribly alarmed, and she said to herself, What shall I say now when the forester comes home and sees that the children are gone? They must be followed instantly to get them back again. Then the cook sent three servants after them who were to run and overtake the children. The children, however, were sitting outside the forest, and when they saw from afar the three servants running, Lena said to Fundafogel, Never leave me, and I will never leave you. Fundafogel said, Neither now nor ever. Then said Lena, Do you become a rose tree and I the rose upon it? When the three servants came to the forest, nothing was there but a rose tree and one rose on it. But the children were nowhere. Then said they, There's nothing to be done here. And they went home and told the cook that they had seen nothing in the forest but a little rose bush with one rose on it. Then the old cook scolded and said, You simpletons, you should have cut the rose bush in two and have broken off the rose and brought it home with you. Go and do it at once. They had therefore to go out and look for the second time. The children, however, saw them coming from a distance. Then Lena said, Fundafogel, never leave me, and I will never leave you. Fundafogel said, Neither now nor ever, said Lena. Then do you become a church, and I'll be the chandelier in it. So when the three servants came, nothing was there but a church with a chandelier in it. They said therefore to each other, What can we do here? Let us go home. When they got home, the cook asked if they had not found them. So they said, no, they had found nothing but a church, and there was a chandelier in it. And the cook scolded them and said, You fools, why did you not pull the church to pieces and bring the chandelier home with you? And now the old cook herself got on her legs and went with the three servants in pursuit of the children. The children, however, saw from afar that the three servants were coming and the cook waddling after them. Then said Lena, Thunderfogel, Never leave me, and I will never leave you. Then said Fundafogel, Neither now nor ever, said Lena, Be a fish pond, and I will be the duck upon it. The cook, however, came up to them, and when she saw the pond, she lay down by it, and was about to drink it up, but the duck swam quickly to her, seized her head in its beak, and drew her into the water, and there the old witch had to drown. Then the children went home together and were heartily delighted, and if they have not died, they are living still. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Neil's journey to holding his own fairy tale in his hands, and to hear another of his favorite fairy tales.